time to watch a movie you've never seen. There might be some ninjas or a crazy death machine, but there will be smiles and there will be tears. You won't watch another movie for about 800 years. It's time for death by video. jokes on him, but also he's in on the jokes, so. No, I guess that's... that's it's Death by Video! Death Yay. by Video! Yay! We're back yet again at the old abandoned video store. We're still keeping up that that facade, right? That we have a... Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, why do you keep saying it's a facade? Like, you're driving me nuts now. Ever since I moved in, I like to think of it as a home. That's a callback <laughs> to episode 23 when we said uh, I might be homeless. Um... <laughs> So anyways, I'm Graham. I'm Phil. Go to Kit. I I am Kit. And we are joined by our very special guest star. Lillian. And our extra special guest star, the one, the only Van Damme expert. Scott, how are you guys? Ooh, welcome back, Scott. For, nice all to be the way back. from Thank our you. <laughs> you gotta hold the mic in front of you. Like Phil took it away while he was saying nice to be back. It's just like nope. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to be back with everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And tonight. We are kicking off our Albert Pune series. I won't call it a month because whenever we do that, we wind up like falling behind or something happens. So it's a series of four oh, films. Huh? Hmm? A kick. Yeah. A kick. We're, we're you know the the infamous and I I don't use this term lightly, but I will say it with with regards to Albert Pune, an auteur. Um. So before we get into like the nitty gritty of what we've seen in the last week or since we last recorded, by the way, hope everyone enjoyed our last episode on Firecracker, which went up. Um, Last week we uh, couldn't. We were going to try and do this one last week, but it just didn't work out schedule wise. Firecracker it was good to get that episode up there. We've got a couple other lost episodes that we'll try to get up eventually. Maybe if we have some downtime, or if I can find the time to edit them. So um, a little bit on Albert Pune. If you don't know who he is, he directed the 1990 Captain America. He directed um, Cyborg um, and a bunch of other films that you've probably forgotten about. Alien from L.A., The Vicious Lips. But yes, Kit. Well, we've watched one of those films on the Yeah, podcast. we watched uh, Nemesis uh, at the Royal Cinema in a beautiful 35mm print. It was one of our only, I guess, our only mini-sode. Yeah, 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 which was the back half of the Remembering George Romero episode. So, Albert Pune, uh, he's incredibly prolific. He's directed over, over 50 feature films in nearly every genre. He actually made his own personal sequel to Walter Hill's Streets of Fire called The Road to Hell, which starred the original Streets of Fire cast members Michael Pere and Deborah Van... Valkenberg in their original roles. He actually went so far as to license the lead song from Streets of Fire, Tonight is What It Means to Be Young, and nice. had a band sing it at the end scene of the movie and has Tom Cady looking at the band and walking away wistfully, just like the end of Streets of Fire. So he is dedicated. Um, so he started um, as an intern in his teens at several production companies in Hawaii, where he's from. Well, in high school, he actually met the Japanese actor Toshiro Mifune, the star of Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, Rashomon, and Throne of Blood, as, um, and many others, who invited him to come to Japan and intern for Akira Kurosawa. Um, unfortunately, 
Uh, Mifune and Kurosawa, the film they were working on, didn't happen. So Pune wound up uh, working on a TV series under uh, Takeo Saito, who was Kurosawa's director of photography for about 30 years at that point. Um, and then after this, he returned to Hawaii and started working in commercials. Um, now here's where things kind of get blurred. Um, after leaving commercials, he went to Los Angeles and he directed his first film, The Sword and the Sorcerer, in the wake of um, Conan the Barbarian and other like uh, sword and sandal uh, movies. It was Beast a big Master. hit. Beastmaster, which we were talking about earlier. It was a big hit. Um, He-Man, that was later. But it ties into Cyborg. Uh, Kit just said He-Man. Um, uh, it grossed nearly $40 million at the box office, in and that's in 1980s money, so it's, you know, $100 million today, and uh, it was only on a $4 million budget, so it did incredibly well. He was next offered the chance to direct Total Recall to be produced by Dino De Laurentiis at uh, Universal Pictures with William Hurt attached to Star. Luckily, this didn't happen as it allowed Pune to go on and direct the post-apocalyptic action comedy musical, uh, a film that I love a lot, called Radioactive Dreams. And I'm not going to talk about it now, because we're going to be watching it later on in the podcast. Um, he followed up Radioactive Dreams with the teen thriller Dangerously Close. Again, not going to talk about it because we're watching it next week. Um, following Dangerously Close, he directed the space rock opera The Vicious Lips, the romantic drama Down Twisted, the comedic fish-out-of-water science fiction film Alien from L.A. starring Kathy Ireland. Um, it was in Alien from L.A. that was his first film to be done under uh, Golan and Globus, who ran Canon Films. Uh, they brought him in as an uncredited director to finish up shooting their contemporary version of Journey to the Center of the Earth after the production ran out of money. Um, they were impressed with his uh, able, like with his ability to tackle a film that had no money and finish it and make it make sense. So they actually offered him um, Masters of the Universe Part Two and their version of Spider-Man. Uh, their version of Spider-Man was set to star Michael Dudikoff from the Amer American Ninja franchise as Peter Parker. Um, however, as we all know, there was no Masters of the Universe 2, and there was no 1980s Spider-Man. At this point, Canon was in serious financial trouble and had to cancel their deals with both Mar Mattel for Masters of the Universe and Marvel Comics. Um, but Canon Films had already spent $2 million building sets and costumes for both Masters of the Universe 2 and Spider-Man. So they needed to do something to recoup the money spent on these movies, and they needed to do it fast. So over a weekend, Albert Pune wrote the script that utilized the locations and costumes that were already made. This brings us to Cyborg. Now, Pune originally wanted Chuck Norris to star in the film, but instead, Golan and Globus, by the way guys, chip in anytime if, if anything tickles your fancy. Um, yeah, so Pune wanted Chuck Norris to star in the film, but Golan and Globus had someone else in mind. After the success of Bloodsport, Jean-Claude Van Damme was given the choice to star in one of three movies. That's all good. <laughs> Delta Force 2, American Ninja 3, or Cyborg. He chose Cyborg. So with a production budget of only $500,000, they shot the entire film in 23 days. Um, during the filming, Van Damme got a little too excited during one of the fight scenes and struck actor Jackson Rock Pickney in the eye with a knife. Pickney ended up losing his eye and then sued Van Damme and was awarded four... More of an accident, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Is, is that in the film? Did that, that make the cut? I think it did, yeah. Gosh. Um, so he wound up suing Van Damme and was awarded $485,000, which was nearly the entire production budget for the film. <laughs> so since Cyborg was made solely to recoup the lost funds on Masters of the Universe in Part 2 and Spider-Man, it actually was successful. It earned over $10 million at the box office, thus recouping its $2 million debt for the two films that didn't happen. 
interestingly, most of the films in uh, most of the characters in the film were named after guitar manufacturers and uh, musical instrument manufacturers, as Scott pointed out uh, early on when he arrived. So, for instance, the bad guy's name is Fender. Van Damme's name is Gibson Rickenbacker. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, uh, nearly two decades later, Van Damme was asked what he thought of the film, and he responded, I didn't like it so much. Uh, this film was followed up by two sequels, neither of which had any involvement from Van Dan or Pune. The first one was Cyborg 2, which was the film debut of debut of Angelina Jolie. She played the cyborg. It also starred Elias Coteus. And then in 1995 came Cyborg 3, The Recycler, starring Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> That's the actual title of the movie. That's a, just a PSA for uh, <laughs> environmental goodness. Starring Malcolm McDowell. Um, and it went direct to video. So, guys... That's all my trivia on Cyborg. Do you have any of your own recollections? I think, uh, Phil, you've never seen it? You've never seen I've Cyborg? I've never seen it, no. Kit, you've never seen Cyborg, or you think you have? I, no, I haven't, I don't think. Yeah. And uh, Scott has definitely seen Cyborg. Seen Cyborg, own Cyborg. I think I have it on VHS, on mm-hmm. uh, DVD. Uh, yeah, out of all of Van... I was a big Van Damme fan back in the day, and as I was mentioned earlier, I, it stands out as it's nothing like any of his other films. It's got this really mean and gruesome tone to the whole affair, and I don't know. It just it's it's really cool. It's it's it sets it sets apart from everything else that he does. Mm-hmm. It is. It's very it's very bleak. I will put it that way. And actually, Scott was the one who first showed me Cyborg because it was. Uh, I think you oh, brought over. Right? Yeah, I think you brought over like <laughs> like five Van Damme films, and I was like, you know what? I've never seen Cyborg. <laughs> Scott, Scott, like when mm-hmm. I was first uh, meeting him, uh, we were uh, in a university dorm together. He was my next door neighbor. Um, and he showed me a Van Damme film. I can't remember. It was like he was in an underground prison or something like that. Death Warrant. Death, Death Warrant. Warrant. Yeah, yeah. Oh Death my Warrant God. cover to fight the Sandman, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one actually was, I think it was made, no, the Kickboxer was after this, and then I believe it's Death Warrant, yeah. We need uh, a Van Damme a month or a year. I don't know. I'm working on it. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. It'll be interesting stuff, too. It'll be some, some left field choices. Maybe a little sudden death. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Which, a.k.a. Die Hard in a Hockey Arena. <laughs> oh, I remember that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he plays a stepfather. No, sorry. He plays a father that treats his kid's stepfather like, like crap, even though the stepfather already bought them tickets to Disney World. He's like, no, it's my day off, and I've got tickets to the hockey game. They're coming with me. I don't know why I went Quebecois with my Van Damme accent. Yeah, I remember there was a part where he loads up a super soaked gun full of lighter fluid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was sudden death. I think Ebert liked that one, but Siskel did not. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a, a rare split for the Siskel and Ebert um, Van Damme reviewing streak. Um, so yeah, before we get into it, guys, has anyone seen anything good since we last recorded? Kit, you said you'd seen a lot. I have seen a lot. Um, I watched a lot of the because uh, in in between our last recording, the Academy Awards happened, and mm-hmm. and um, the congratulations Water, to Jordan Peele, by the way, and Guillermo del Toro, who made the the the, mm-hmm. the fish fucking movie. I'm gonna have to bleep that now. <laughs> I like to call it the, the I like to call it the interspecies love stories kit, <laughs> which I think we would all agree is fine. It's a I haven't fine seen it. movie. Okay, has anybody seen it here? No, I have not. No, I haven't seen it. Either. I'm the only one. Okay, I'll, I I'm here to tell you all that it's it's fine. It's good. And watch is it. it it's, a be- it's not bad. Is it a best picture film? 
Probably not, but uh, nobody's nobody's gonna hate on Guillermo del Toro winning a winning a Best Picture and a Best Director. So everybody's here for that. Certainly not. And he gave no. a lot of props out to Hamilton and Toronto, which yeah. was very he, cool he, of them. All the crews. Yeah, he should have won it for Blade Two. To be honest, I mean, Best Picture, Best Picture, Best Director, <laughs> Blade Two. All in. Yeah, hundred percent. Hellboy Two, Best Picture. Yeah. The Golden Best Army. actor Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Best supporting actor Chris Christopherson. So anyway, I watched Shape of Water, for example, which uh, which is fine. It's it's and no, I I'm, I'm being a little too harsh on it. I mean, it was a good film, but I don't see it as best picture. It's also hard to watch a film that's had so much hype around it. Yeah, it is. Like I try to watch anytime any of those films, I try to watch them without seeing. I still haven't seen the trailer for Lady Bird. I don't know what it looks like at all. Oh, Lady so, Bird, which I also saw this mm -hmm. week, was good. I yeah, liked it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig. Like I was a big fan of her first directorial film, which gets forgotten a lot, Nights and Weekends, which came out in 2008, which I actually saw with her in attendance at the Bloor Cinema back when it was still the Bloor Cinema, and not the Ted Rogers Hot Docs screening facility. Sweet, you should have got her number back then. I tried. You did. Swing and a miss. Um, <laughs> no, I've been in a room with her a couple times. Uh, I, I, she was my dark horse for best director. I was like, yeah. she, it might happen, might happen. Yeah, it could have. Yeah, the best director category this year was actually quite. Uh, it was good. It was it was a stacked lineup. It was like I was like, all these guys are good and yep. gals and gal. Yep. Um, okay, so I watched that. I uh, I I watched Lady Bird. I watched. Um, uh, the fa Phantom Thread I watched. Oh, mm -hmm. how, that Finally, really what well. did you think of that? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, Phantom Thread is really good. I really <laughs> enjoyed it. I wasn't thinking I would. I was like, this is, is going to be kind of like a stodgy film about a dressmaker. I'm not sure oh, I'm on board. Oh, it's not stodgy at all. No, it's not. Although no. he is stodgy and fussy. He is stodgy. The film is not. But that's excellent. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I really, really enjoyed it. It's it's the film that I'm still thinking about. Of all the films that I've seen yeah. recently, it's the film that's still stuck in my mind. It was a film that when it started, I was like, well, I guess I'm not just gonna, not going to like this movie. And then as it went along, I'm like... I like this more and more, and it's, it's it goes yeah. to a very strange place, Scott. That's yeah. all I'll say. Very weird BDSM relationship between them. Yes, yes, yeah. that's one way yeah. to put it for sure. Yeah, but not with like whips and leather and stuff. It's more something else. Something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sorry, Lil, I don't think you've seen it either. No, okay. none of those except for um, Get Out. Get Out. Yeah. I remember there's a, a minimalist uh, artist who was doing uh, doing new posters for P.T. Anderson films, mm -hmm. and um, uh, like for Magnolia, it was a frog. Yeah. For example. Yeah. yeah. Um, for um, for there will be blood. It was a bowling pin. Nice. And I'm assuming for Phantom Thread, it would just be a mushroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert: mushroom. Uh, uh, in a way, it's not really a spoiler. No. Um, but, okay, so I saw that, and then I saw one film in theaters, I saw, um, What'd Black Panther. Oh, how was it? In, I saw it in 3D and IMAX, I no. didn't buy the tickets. I, okay, I good. Wouldn't really recommend the 3D, but it was a good film. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the better, um, Marvel films I've seen. Yep. Um, solid. Solid on that level. Well, I'm a big fan of that director. I mean, he did, uh, Creed, and he did Fruitvale Station. What, what really blew my mind, and I mm -hmm. did not realize this until just last week, is that Michael B. Jordan also plays yeah. Wallace on The Wire. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know I did not know that. Oh, blew my mind. There mm -hmm. he is. Where's Wallace? There I he know. is. There's he's Wallace. In, he's, in, he's in Creed. Yeah, and, and, and Black, Black Panther. Panther. And Fruitvale Station. Yeah. And Fantastic Four. But no one wants to talk about that. Oh, yeah. He was, he was like... Uh, the fewer the better. Johnny Storm. Johnny Storm. Nobody watched mm. that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
No one talks about that movie. Because I remember the first two Fantastic Fours with Jessica Alba and... Um, Chris Evans. And Ian, what's his face, the Irish guy. Yeah. Um, and they were not great. No. And then and they redid one. And which was worse. Wasn't the commission it? The commission oh, yeah, it, yeah, he was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> the commission. Michael Chiklis. No. Oh. It going like the shield never happens. Yeah. <laughs> I never watched The Shield. Should I ever get into No, I'm not going to get into it. I never watched it either. No. He also played Curly in the Three Stooges movie that was made, the dramatic Three Stooges film that was made for TV, which nobody wanted, which is very depressing. Cause not just, the Farrelly brothers. No, no, no. The depressing true story of like him getting locked in a mental asylum and then replacing him with Shemp and then Shemp dying and then them bringing in Joe and Joe died. Well, back in the 80s, he played John Belushi in a biopic called The Oh, Rogue. I remember the John Belushi biopic. That trailer is highly bit. offensive. Yeah, he got he got blacklisted by a lot of uh, Hollywood people because he was doing a John Belushi pick, and it was all warts and all like and stuff like that. a year after he died. Yeah. yeah, it was a bit soon. But Michael Chiklis was just like, he was an actor who's looking for work, and yep. they were like, The best thing about that job. movie is it opens with him waking up in a body bag in a morgue, and he's talked to by, like, his past, like, relatives that have died like and he's like how did I come here and they're like well let's look back on your life that's how they framed it with him being dead in a morgue apparently Jim Belushi still wants to fight him but Jim Belushi's a piece of trash oh anyway. Jim Belushi would lose hard too <laughs> lose hard <laughs> alright anyway Belushi that's what started. I've seen I'm gonna pass the mic Phil what have you seen alright uh all right, so the good stuff, I saw LA 92, um, which I think is the best of the three movies about the LA riots that mm -hmm. came out last year. Um, uh, Rewatched There Will Be Blood, which I've come around to. I've been, I've had mixed feelings about it in the past, but I really love, like, love it. I really do. Yeah, I think the, the last movie, time... the more you watch it, the more it really grows on you. Sorry, Scott, you gotta just grab well, my I was just saying, the, the more mm -hmm. you watch it, the more it really grows on you, that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I, it seemed very disjointed to me when I first saw it, but then, like, watching it, like, it really came together. By the way, the biggest travesty of the Academy Awards is that Johnny Greenwood did not win for best score for Phantom Thread. Who won for score? It was The Shape of Water, Howard which, is, Shore or which is fine. Yeah. Again, it, like the movie, it's fine. No, it was, it was the French guy who did uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, uh, that guy, yeah. 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 I saw The Decline of Western Civilization 2, The Metal Years. Yeah, you were talking, we were talking about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, we rewatched uh, Liquid Sky. Yeah, we caught that great. on Friday night, the 4K restoration at the Royal. My God, Liquid Sky. We're going to be talking about that on the podcast. Yeah. That's such a good film. I love it to death. Um, I saw Brigsby Bear, which I had mixed feelings about. So. It, it looks good. I mean, it, it looks... It, I've only seen the trailer, and I rarely watch trailers, cause, but this one intrigued me, so I watched the trailer, and the trailer looks interesting, so... It's basically Room meets... Um, Be Kind Rewind. You were telling me that, Be yeah. Be Kind Rewind, yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's quite a mix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's like without the dark elements oh. of, you know, like Room or Dogtooth, but, you know, it's still... Jeez, that's a weird... Mix there, Phil. Yeah, it's 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 an odd duck of a movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, as I as from what I can tell from the reviews, but it looks interesting. It's definitely the kind of movie that's probably going to build have like a big cult following. Mm -hmm. I could see for for our listeners and for our people in the room who are kind of confused as to what this film is. It's the story of Kyle a man. Kyle Mooney. Kyle um, Mooney plays from a man. SNL. Probably the. The standout cast member the, from SNL nowadays, mm, I'd say. Beck Bennett is pretty good. Yeah, well, okay, mm. Beck Bennett. He's also in the 
Bring, yeah, uh, it's the story of a man who um, gets released from captivity, which he was kidnapped as a child until the entire world was bombed out, or something. Am I wrong about that? Or it's, it's like he's held no. like like a like a child he, in captivity. He's led to believe that you yeah, know, society like, is crumbled and society is crumbled. Yeah, and so he and Mark watches Hamill is his kidnapper. Yeah. And so he and grows, up, grows up watching this kid show called Brigsby Bear, and then he comes out into the real world, and the only thing he wants is to see the next episode of Brigsby Bear, but there is no episode. There is no Brigsby yep. Bear because Brigsby Bear was the oh, was brainchild me. of Mark Hamill. Right, it was a made-up thing that and they did. Yeah. Which was done on VHS tapes as well. So there's the Be Kind Rewind connection. Yeah, cool. but so like he creates Brigsby Bear himself, and and people come around to it because he befriends people and episodes of Brigsby Bear make it on to YouTube and become viral phenomena. Okay. I'm going to give it a watch. Um, have you seen anything else? Uh, I saw Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Yeah. Great title. From, From director Ruggiero Diodato, the director of Cannibal Holocaust, comes <laughs> Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. It is a skeevy, skeevy movie. Super skeevy. That scene where, like, Super it's, skeevy. it's, <laughs> that's the tagline, super skeevy. Yeah, it's it's I've seen it. It's it's bonkers. It has the first ten minutes of the movie. It has a great motorcycle chase, but it mm-hmm. is I love how so like there are two guys that ride the same motorcycle. It's it's very homoerotic. Yeah, uh, it's very like it was described to me as being the Italian cop version of my own private Idaho. <laughs> basically, yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, they're, they're basically male models as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sounds delightful. Mm-hmm. I saw Mother exclamation point, which was garbage. Garbage? Okay. I was curious about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watch it, please make your own two cents, but it's uh Darren Aronofsky has been kinda making garbage since Black Swan. I like Black Swan by the way, for the record. Yeah, wasn't feeling Noah at all. Did not see that no. one. No. Okay. Uh well we got the mic over there. Scott, what have you seen in the last little while? That's been good. Well, coincidentally, uh, the last time I was with all you fine people, we had watched The Room. Check out the vaults for that uh, beauty of a podcast. Um, Just recently watched The Disaster Artist for the first time. I thought they did a really bang up job on that, to tell you the truth. I think... uh, Yeah, I saw that too, yeah. Yeah, I think it was was really funny. I like that they... uh, I mean, it differs from the book uh, wildly. Um, but I like that they captured the tone of the friendship because that was kind of devoid from the book, I felt anyways. But I think it made a lot of sense for the movie or a lot more easily accessible to other fans. Yeah. By the way, is there a chance they did a shot-for-shot remake of The Room? Because it seems like they almost did. I think they did some. They said they did like 32 minutes. Oh, they should have done the whole thing. No. I, I, I would watch... A shot for shot. Yeah, and that's Franco a good remake of the room. Yeah, that's I a good like point. I, would. I feel like I would for some reason. Yeah, you're, that's a good point you make. They had it playing in the Ed credits uh, side by side uh, with the actual film. You think they would have that in the features or something? That would be kind of fun to watch. But, See, I kind of uh, actually wish they didn't include that at the end because that to me was like, I don't know, because Tommy Wiseau the character versus when I don't know. There's just something weird about putting that side by side because I was just sort of like. Well, does this just become a fan film then? That's true. But I'll tell you what, when you put it side by side, the only one you're watching is real Tommy Wiseau, that's oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> you cannot, you cannot. By the way, his new film, Best uh, Fiends, or Friends, because the R is in parentheses, is going to be playing in Toronto soon. And the reviews for this film have actually been good. That, Yeah? Good feedback? Yeah, that basically, because the role was written with Wiseau in mind, and it was written by Greg Sestero, and he basically sort of said that, they kind of knew what Tommy was capable of, and they actually wrote to his strengths. Apparently. Hold on, the script is written by. 
Greg Sestero, yeah, for Best Friends. The whole thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was co-written, and, like, they cast him, because, like, I think the other thing, too, is that this whole whirlwind with the room, and we're still talking about it. My first thought just hearing is uh, it it should be, if he had him particularly in mind, it should be something, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it should be something interesting. Oh, yeah, and it is. He plays a vampire who might, or no, he plays a mortician who might be a vampire. Um, so, so he plays himself, really. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Anyways, it looks interesting. So, yeah, so saw that. I actually recently rewatched Watchmen from uh, nine years ago already, and I was pleasantly surprised about how good it was. I think uh, mm-hmm. I forgot how like, Zack Snyder really made this unfilmable book, and I think he did a, a bang-up job in adapting it into a film because it's you know with the, with the superhero movies and being you know we're being bludgeoned to death with them uh, month by month. It's easy to kind of lose stuff in the background, and I would actually go so far to say this might be one of the top ten superhero movies that's easily overlooked and shamefully so. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. As uh, as a good friend of ours, Graham on the podcast uh, once said to me at the time of its release, it's kind of the Blade Runner of our generation. I th- and I think that did I say that you did say that. I recall it's that the Blade Runner of our generation. <laughs> He's trying to recant that now, but it, the genie's out of the bottle. Twenty five year old Graham that, was kind of dumb. I that, that, that might have been said by you. I believe. <laughs> I I, I kind of think of it like as a de- as a good deconstruction of the superhero film. I the Blade Runner of our generation. Oh, speaking of which, I also watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I forgot to mention and? that. And I really enjoyed it yeah um it's two hours and 40 minutes long but i didn't notice that which two is a sign i think short I, I don't i don't think that it should have been <laughs> five hours and 20 minutes no but, i'm waiting um, for that 13 week long director's cut <laughs> but i actually really really enjoyed it i thought it was quite good and uh, man Har- uh, harrison ford uh, does some when he wants acting. to he can act yeah yeah mm. <laughs> And I really like that Elvis scene. I gotta say, I keep remembering that part. And the uh, the final things mm-hmm. I saw, as as funny as this is, is I actually well, I have you know two sons. Uh, my my eldest now is getting into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Right, so I went back and revisited the original trilogy and left feeling like I wish I would have stopped after the first film. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I enjoyed it so much. I said, let's put on the secret of the ooze. No, oh, no, 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 no. Turtles no. in Time. Good God, and then no. we stopped it halfway. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you went to Turtles in Time. Well, we made it halfway, and I couldn't handle it. <laughs> I had to get back into the present day. More importantly, what was Nolan's reaction to the, the to the first Turtles movie? You know what? I thought that he really liked the Secret of the Ooze, obviously, because it's a lot. A it's kid. a lot more cartoonish. Yeah. We all enjoyed that as kids. I think. Yeah, he thought oh, yeah. he thought it was really funny. Uh, he seemed to really dig the first Ninja Turtles, but I forgot how intense it is. It's actually mm-hmm. great. The first Ninja oh, yeah. Turtles. I would even put that in my top ten of superhero Jones movies. Murders the Shredder. Oh, yes. yes, that movie is badass. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah. That's so that's one. that's what I've been up to. Raphael is all moody and shit, and he's As depressed. As he should be. He was always Very my favorite. Moody. And how awesome was the Shredder in that? My God, oh, he was yeah. terrifying. Wasn't Uncle Phil a Shredder in that one? And no, he was He was the voice of the Shredder in the TV show, in the cartoon show. Did Krang no. ever make one of the movies? No. no. No, in the new ones, I think he does. Yeah, but I they, haven't seen um, those. Well, the, 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 the original plan for the end of part two was for the scientist, I forget his name, played by that British actor, to David open up Warner? A, David Horner, yeah, Warner, to open up his shirt and reveal that he actually has a Krang inside of him. Because the Krang is actually a species, not just a character. Sure. Um, 
Well, I think I think you'll be delighted to know Graham uh, Nolan's reaction to the Shredder when he first saw him. I don't know if you remember that iconic scene where he has the super long shadow and he walks in mm-hmm. and I am your father now to all the mm-hmm. the rejected kids. He goes, <gasps> Papa, that's a bad boy. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Corey Feldman, he did voice for who was in part in part one and part three. Did not come back for part two, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that it was. He took that hard, the the rejection. Oh, I yeah. am. They made it into the TV movie, The Two Corys. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they invite him back for the Secret of the Ooze? Probably budget, and I think that was also heavily during that. I, think was, yeah, yeah, I was going to say that's 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 yeah, they invited Vanilla or, Ice back, so no, they didn't. <laughs> well, he wasn't in the first one. He was only in the second one, but it was after it was like when Vanilla Ice was over. Oh yeah. So they had bad timing. Sure, he wasn't in the first one. No, he was but not. Had, who did they have in the casting as the, uh, oh, the doctor? It was, it was unbelievable. The doctor in the second one? Yeah, David Warner. There you go. Yeah, we were talking about. But in the first one, you know who isn't it? Sam Rockwell and Skeet Ulrich is are in the no first way. Academy Award winner. Sam That's Rockwell. Right. He uh, he is the guy that when asked like, "Hey, you guys got secrets?" He's like, yeah. "Regular or menthol." Right. Menthol. <laughs> so Lillian, what have you seen? Sorry, Phil. Did you want to say something? Oh no, yeah, like. If there's one good thing to say about the second Ninja Turtles, it's like the Jim Henson creature workshop effects of uh, the uh, those monsters. It got, it, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Actually, yeah, the tur- I think, I think yeah. the turtles got worse, but the monsters were great. Toka and Razor. Toka and Razor. Oh my god, yeah, so good. Fantastic. Yep. So uh, Lillian has said not to ask her what she's seen because she can't recall it. So I'm going to move it over to my list, um, <laughs> which hasn't been that big considering it's been a while since we last recorded. Let's go through this quickly. I saw The Ritual, which was really, really good on Netflix. Uh, highly recommend it. If you have Netflix, give The Ritual a watch. It's a oh, British film. Those guys who go on the camping trip and wish that they didn't. I read the. I, I really read wanted the info. to see that. You recommend <laughs> that to you? Highly. Yeah, it's quite good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I finally got around to watching the 1972 exploitation classic Sweet Sugar. Holy crap, that movie makes some pretty hard left turns. So, <laughs> it's, by the way, how is that maple crewer? I've been, eyeball- I've been eyeballing it, but yeah, yeah okay. Check out of it. I'll, t- I'll take a little. I had you in mind for that one, Graham. How did you know? I've been sitting patiently and I had a strike. <laughs> oh my god. That's awesome. Sorry. Is it as good as the ritual? Yes. <laughs> Not bad. Um... Lillian brought donuts tonight, and there was a maple cruller, and it is dynamite. Hmm. Okay, so, rich sweet sugar, really good. <laughs> I watched Annihilation, the um, the new film from um, um, Alex Garland, starring Natalie Portman, and um, um, why am I blanking on her name? Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee. That looks absolutely fantastic. It's fantastic, yeah. It is. It's a grown-up adult movie. And the funny thing is, this was brought up on Red Letter Media's um, Half in the Bag uh, web, web show. Everything that Frances McDormand said at the Oscars about supporting, you know, female-driven projects, this film was it. But it didn't draw attention to it, and no one went out to see it. It's a film with five female protagonists, and they and it just made sense, and it was just good. Um, so I highly recommend going to see it in theaters, especially in theaters, because you can't watch this on your couch while scrolling through Instagram or Facebook. Um, you need to have the undivided attention. You could just unplug your phone and watch it. People can't do that. I can. I think at this point, I know you can, Lillian, but you're, you're above everyone. <laughs> I'm one in a million, huh? 
<laughs> oh yeah it's best in the theaters yeah because really, i think at this point it's almost out of the theaters oh really so it's, it might still be at the carlton yeah. in Toronto. um i watched the 2017 baywatch movie for some reason i've heard, yes. it's, I've heard it's horrific yes i watched it too yeah yeah <laughs> the entire it's one of those movies the entire it was, time yeah, it was kind of nice to go back there it, it was but they didn't have the baywatch theme though i know but yeah now, now let me ask: Were you mm-hmm. a fan of the television show in the mid '90s? No, but I mean, I would watch it, and 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 seeing it again on Friends and stuff. I wasn't that huge like okay. Joey and Chandler were, but uh, yeah, I would watch it. Does it capture the same tone, or does it go for more like a comedic thing? Well, you know how all kind of shit breaks loose on the beach all the time, and they're like hopping on this and like going to rescue that, and like oh, go 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 all the time. Uh, they still had that in the movie. They did that very well, and um, it was basically mo- about bringing, recruiting a new team, and do sure. they have what it takes? And- Let me ask the most critical question. What's that? Does it have the Hoff? I'm in. It does for a brief scene. He but- makes a cameo. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> a very weird scene with with. And Pamela too. Yeah, that scene with the Pamela Anderson thing kind of killed me, though, because her name is in, like, a big, like, and Pamela Anderson in the credits, and then she's at the end and does not say a word. I was never a Pam Anderson guy. I was a Yasmin Bleeth guy. Yeah. The the new Yasmin Bleeth is pretty good, though, I have to say. Oh, yeah? Sorry, it's a pretty new Yasmin Bleeth. It's, um... (laughs) What's her name? Um, I got... The new hot chick, right? The hot chick in it. They're, they're, they're all attractive women in that movie. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And all the men are attractive, too, except for one. Um... And they made a point, yeah. Which one? Ronnie. That's his character name. He's a guy that... Graham wasn't some, really into Ronnie all that no. much. But the, the, Ronnie didn't make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> he did, though, actually. That's how the, the thing is he actually made the cut to become a, a lifeguard. Um, but no, the film, the entire time I'm watching it, I was like I was struck by two things. Like One, I'm like, how does this exist? And I like the fact that Zac Efron's character constantly called like attention to the fact that, shouldn't the police be doing this? Like, why are we investigating drugs on the beach? And and I'm sorry to interject here, but so going back a little bit, I'm sitting here on my couch really enjoying the disaster artist, and all of a sudden I'm looking at Chris R going, that guy looks really familiar. Mm -hmm. I said, holy Christ, is that Zac Efron? And And sure enough, I checked the credits, and it is. Yeah. I thought that was pretty clever. Oh, yeah. Zac Efron's actually got some, he's playing Ted Bundy in a new film. Oh, yeah, that's right. That should be interesting. He makes a good Ted Bundy. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So Baywatch 2017, watch it or don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Watch the E True Hollywood story. That that is a downer. What the show? They, they did an E True Hollywood story. Oh for yeah. Baywatch, and that was a yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a two-hour episode. Didn't Yasmin Bleef lose her nose to cocaine? I didn't hear about that. Yeah, like apparently, like she wore a big hole in it, and then eventually, like, because she got arrested in Detroit. Uh, a while back, like when I was in university, and I remember seeing like a photo of it and being like, "Oh my god, she lost mm. her nose." Um, they did a spinoff to Baywatch called Baywatch Nights. Yes, where which the first season was a detective show where where Mitch Buchanan be- yeah. opens up a, a private investigations department with the the beach cop, and then in the second season it goes supernatural and they become like the X Files for some reason. Yeah, they, they talked about in the True Hollywood story, which is yeah. But uh, I love that Graham made it to the second season of that Baywatch Nights, and then yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those movies where the entire time I'm just like, why does this exist? And they actually like read out all the plots for like a bunch of episodes, and Zac Efron's character is just like, this just sounds made up and fake. Um, then I watched uh, Switching Gears completely, the 19, I think 83 or 84 film from Britain, Threads. Which uh, I recommend everyone see that movie. It is serious as it a heart is attack. So heavy. 
<laughs> it is a film about uh, a nuclear escalation between the Soviet Union and America and how the UK kind of got caught in the middle. And the it, the outcome, it was started by a documentarian who later went on to direct The Body Bodyguard and Volcano. But this film was about what would happen if a uh, nuclear bomb or several nuclear bombs were detonated around a populated area. And the answer is everything kind of goes bad. And there is no, it's not like the day after where there's hope at the end. Like there is, this film is bleak. Like you see the, the society fall apart. You see um, education disappear and you even language by the end of it starts to disappear. I recommend everyone see it though because it's just important to remind ourselves of what we are always on the um, yeah. I don't think the, the BBC had unlike the day after. I don't think BBC had a trauma hotline. No, no. They're just like this is what it is. The interesting thing is that the director, um, whose name I'm, I'm is escaping me right now, he um, he heard about he had been working on a documentary project about the realities of nuclear fallout, um, and then decided it'd be best just to do it as a drama film to get people in because the first like hour or half hour of the movie or 40 minutes is just like these people living in Britain and there's like tension, foreign tension in the background. And, you know, a couple gets pregnant, they have to get married. You know, there's all these different, you know, characters and families. And then, you know, in the, in the background, the tension builds and builds and they keep like shutting off the TV as there's a news report. And then eventually nuclear war happens. Um, but the director, he was concerned when the day after came out because he thought like, oh God, they're going to do the exact same thing and it's going to be American. So it's going to be huge and better. And then he watched it and he realized, oh no, this is about, you know, there's a happy ending at the end of the day after as bleak as it, as it was. And actually Ronald Reagan uh, said that he changed his minds and decided to deescalate the nuclear stockpile after watching the day after in the States. Um, so with threads, the guy's like, oh no, we're going to show the real, you know, fallout of a, of a nuclear um, attack, the nuclear winter, the loss of food, the loss of society, you know, the breakdown of currents, not having a currency, not having hospital, the, the electromagnetic pulse that kind of kills all electronics. Um, it's heavy, um, but it's good. Um, and I watched Night Moves, the 1975 neo-noir starring Gene Hackman, which is an awesome, awesome film. And then to wrap it up, uh, back to Phil's point, we saw Liquid Sky on Friday night, which is a wonderful, fantastic film from the early 80s in New York City. Um, it's visually stunning, uh, very beautiful, sad, and yet funny movie all at once about aliens that land in New York to try and uh, eat people as they are... No, no, it's not. It's not funny. Um, it's it's weird because when you describe the plot, it is bonkers. Yeah. Aliens, like a small small uh, alien spacecraft, lands in New York to, that decides to eat people as they're injecting themselves with heroin, but discovers they'd much prefer to eat people after having an orgasm. And it's set in the '80s club scene in New York. There's isn't lots. That, of, isn't that the plot of Species? <laughs> I had to dumb it right down, didn't you? <laughs> Just had to like fall off that cliff and into a melting pot of liquid metal. Anyways, this also is, species three. This is cyborg. Um. Anyways, guys. So with that being said, that's everything we've seen. Uh, let's get into cyborg. Does anyone else have anything to say before we jump in? All right. Uh, we'll be right back in just a moment. Welcome to the world of the not-too-distant future. Get going! Go! A brutal gang is reshaping the world into their own vision of hell. And only one man can stop them. Jean-Claude Van Damme is leading the battle between good and evil. 
Kamau, as it's never been fought before. He's on a desperate mission to rescue a cyborg who holds the secret for saving the world. Why did you help me? I don't want to see you die. From the dust of destruction rises the warrior of a new age. Say goodbye, my friend. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. Cyborg. Yeah. Robohop. And we're back. <laughs> that was Kit doing his impersonation of the bad guy at the end of Cyborg. By the way, what is it? <laughs> Yes, Fender the Cyborg. Uh, no, <laughs> Fender's not a Cyborg. He wasn't a Cyborg. He was not a Cyborg. Come on. Follow no, the plot, No, Graham. What was the name of the Cyborg? He was a pirate. Oh, gosh. Do we know her name? name? Looking it up. So, Kit, take us through Cyborg. Um, well, it starts... Um, starts with some delicious voiceover. It starts with a sweet intro voiceover, which actually, um, Scott pointed out, um, this has a yet another Wu-Tang connection. Scott? Yeah. Uh, it was sampled for Method Man, uh, his second solo album, Judgment Day. First, there was the collapse of civilization. Anarchy. Genocide. Starvation. Then... When it seemed like shit couldn't get any more f***ed up, we got the plague, the living death, closing its icy grip around the whole planet. Then the rumor started. The last hardcore MCs were working on a cure that would end the pestilence. Why? I like the death. I like the misery. I like this world! As I walk in the shadow of death, 16 men on a dead man's chest. Your host is Steve, Mr. H.O.T. And I get you get splashed with the tech. Nobody go to the guard, say so. You got a second or more to run for the deal. Before I blow back off the map, contact. You take no stack, cook it down like that. Run from death, rock and launcher. Yes, Mr. Map, hold the foremost death. Cats dead wrong, songs too long. Um, which I, I don't remember that album very well. I, we all remember Takao, but... Yeah, 1998, it came out during a whole lot of shiny suits and a lot of dancing. I think what separated it from everything else was it was very gritty and raw, much like uh, this picture that we just watched. Except uh, for Randam's sequin blouse that he wears uh, also, also, Donald Trump appears on that album, I think. Well, because Donald Trump and everybody else in America <laughs> have been patiently awaiting the arrival of Beth Band's second sophomore album. <laughs> So, director Albert Pune actually originally envisioned the film as a heavy opera without dialogue, shot in granulated black and white. However, the producers thought differently. I'm, I'm assuming you're gonna, you're, sorry, I'm assuming you're gonna like just pipe in that uh, little bit of sample that we were talking about the uh, the I like death, I like this world. That would be. Good. I'll try and find it. Yeah. Okay. That was amazing. 
That's yeah. cute. I've been there. <laughs> well, arguably, uh, Fender's work is kind of operatic. Yeah, he wears sunglasses at night, uh, caked in mud, and he... Uh, yeah, but he never cleans these sunglasses. We actually get a no, flashback no. of the same character wearing... Clean fresh versions, yeah. Fresh, brand new versions. And every time he takes off his glasses, he is singing volumes, isn't he? It's very... But if we're being very serious, the movie is very heavy on action, very light on plot. I could totally see it as uh, as an opera with, with very little speaking. I think that would work. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it would be improved, though, because we, we would lose all the ah and Jean-Claude-isms. You could still have them screaming. Okay, so... So... Uh, Okay, so this intro happens. And then the film starts and we're introduced so, so to we York find out and, basically yeah. the, the world has been ravaged by a plague or something like that or, or something some sort that of virus. Something that has caused the, the traditional federal government to collapse. And as, now we're as left the with voiceover the explains, yeah. um, they're, they're looking for a cure and they might have found it that will, uh, that will cure everything and, and save and uh, get rid of this kind of post-apocalyptic universe that we, we find ourselves in. And but as, they have to uh, give that information to Atlanta, where the CDC is. Right. And, and as the tender, our, our narrator at this point, says he, he doesn't want that to happen because he's, he's a king in the world that they live in. He, he likes the world. He likes death. He likes it just the way it is. Yeah, he doesn't want it to... I like this world! <laughs> <laughs> Only peaked once there. Uh, and then, um, so we're introduced to a curly kind of Jerry curl kind of having white fella, who's who's just roaming the um, the alleys of this po- post-apocalyptic hellscape, mm-hmm. um, where trash and like just rags are for some reason strung across. Like, like old-fashioned movie debris, where it's like <laughs> just tra- like papers and rags. And uh, and like haphazardly put together costumes and like uh, like oil barrels that have been tipped over and sp- spray painted and well, shit. Hold, hold on though, there's there's some things that do set this set apart from others. There's a lot of people crucified, nude. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. pretty heavy actually. It's pretty grim. Some, some heavy yeah. stuff. There's some skulls that are just skewered. I mean, you don't see so that every pikes, day. Yeah. Yeah, they're not even like decomposing heads. They're just like, man, that happened a while ago. Those are just skulls now. But then there's some uh, fresh beheadings as well. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! As we find out, like there's a there's a married couple that uh, I get yeah. their heads lopped off. Yeah. Yeah. We were wondering. We were we were wondering where the wedding bliss had happened in this. Yeah. Uh, there, there's interconnected shots of a couple being beheaded and a melting on fire groom and bride from the top of a wedding cake happening, which don't seem to be connected, but maybe it was like an insert done to solidify their relationship. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway, Jerry Curl, white guy, um, he gets his pretty quick. Uh, he meets um, Fender and his gang, uh, who are very serious-looking fellows. Yep. Um, they they strut forth in unison, kind of in slow motion all the time. Yeah, all in one big line. Yep. And uh, they're not happy. They're not amused. No, nope. stern-faced. A lot of chainmail. They wear a some chainmail chain and some like BMX body armor and type stuff. They do have a, a bunch of them do wear umpire um, pads. I noticed. Yeah, they definitely look like they could be like one of the gangs and the warriors. But like a gang that did, just didn't care as much as the rest of them. Yeah. They are no Gramercy riffs. They are no big boppers. They are no uh, Turnbull ACs or the electric eliminators. <laughs> Assuming these are all warriors gangs. But they, they would be a gang that you would imagine would get get things done. 
Yes. When they weren't concerned about uh, their hair or their clothing. So anyway, yeah. they take out the they take out the one guy. He's 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 who's um we don't know much about this guy, but he's trying to transport this woman who has the cure to the plague. Uh, I think she's uh, I don't know if she's introduced as a cyborg yet. Yeah, she is. She's okay. carrying information um, that ha- that will bring the cure. They, they and, she, and she needs to she needs to be safely transported to Atlanta. Yes, that's that's what's set up. And this gang of pirates scoff at this guy's plan. They quickly behead him. Um, what is the reason for that? Why do they scoff at this plan? Because they want to keep the they don't want things to get better. They they like things the way they are as the uh, the intro the voiceover. I'm, I'm pretty sure Fender before the fall of civilization was just like a gas station attendant, but now that civilization has fallen, he's allowed to like ascend to his leadership role. He's he's basically I don't, I don't know if anybody still watches The Walking Dead. Hopefully you don't because I'm still watching it and it's not very good. But he's like the Negan of this this post post apocalyptic. But with hellscape. less like people skills. With less people skills. Negan can at least talk to someone. This guy is just like. <laughs> but he's got those piercing ice blue eyes. Then he takes off his shades and he uh, he blesses mm-hmm. <laughs> blesses a scene every once in a once in a while. Um, so they take care of him, and then all of a sudden Van Dam pops out, and he's like, "Hey, don't uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna protect this girl that you're trying to." Yeah, because she accost. reminds me of someone I once knew, aka his lost love. Yeah, and they employ a brilliant uh, device here. They cut to the flashbacks, and the way that they connotate that it's a flashback is that Van Damme has hair, and then he doesn't have hair, and then he has hair, and then he doesn't have hair. It's very easy to follow. Well, he he always has hair. It's just that in the flashbacks, he has kind of a he has ponytail, a very, very wispy grunge, hair. Like, he looks like I, I remarked he could be the bass player in Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. Yeah, he does <laughs> He's look got like a he... medieval look, right? He's got the long hair that's put in a in a pony, but. And bangs the man bangs. Stable boy, you, look. You, you put a you put a plaid shirt around his waist and a, and a dirty t shirt. He's and in he's serving, the dog yeah, right away. and he's serving coffee in <laughs> Seattle. Yeah, and throw a bit of like armor on top of that t shirt. Well, yeah. there, it's also it's also a different hair color as well because it's like it's well, a wig. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's a light brown <laughs> wig. Whereas Van Dam's real hair is a more uh, it's a dark brown, basically. Yeah, straight from the hubs of hell. Um. Again, I don't know why I always go Quebecois when I think of uh, I, It's Van appropriate. Dan. I like it. Um, so, uh, by I the way, muscles from Gatineau. Fender, who we've been uh, who we've been talking about, we we described him as like a fake Mario Van Peebles. Yeah, he seems like the kind of role Mario Van Peebles would have played and played better. I don't have to say that he got roided out, Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> roided Mario Van Peebles. But uh... and that actor's name is Vincent Klin. Oh, wow. Uh, did he get a lot of work after this one? Uh, Vincent Klin is best known for Cyborg. However, he was also in Point Break as War Child. Oh, he Point was in Break. Double oh, Dragon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was in Double Dragon. Back off War Child. Double Dragon the movie? Double Dragon the movie. Wow. He, and then he was in a lot of stuff you've never heard of, like Ticker, where he played Terrorist. Oh, Ticker yeah. is another Albert Pune movie. Oh, my God. That's the one with Steven Seagal. Oh, my. One of the ones with Steven yeah. Seagal. <laughs> We'll see what happens. One was with Ice T as well, I believe. Ooh, yeah, he better and better and better and better. Ice T, I feel, would have been a really good Fender as well. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, yeah. By the way, has anyone heard his? So I recently, I've been trying to uncover this because his band Body Count covered ninety nine problems, but then I realized the actual phrase, "If you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I've got ninety nine problems, but a." 
blank bitch ain't one ain't one actually came from a ice tea song which jay-z actually like took the hook from and used in his song 99 problems oh is that from an ice tea song or from yeah. a body count song uh it might be might be uh no i think it's from ice tea and then when he was with his band when him and body count had their comeback album they did their own original version of 99 problems but with the jay-z guitar hook Oh, very cool! I never, yeah. never knew that. An interesting point, mm-hmm. though, is: Have you heard the latest Body Count album? It, it's no. shockingly awesome. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I'm it's not, shockingly good. I'm not surprised. Good. Ice T, he's he's got a good head on his shoulders. And, and, and believe this or not, they actually do a cover of. Uh, is it institutionalized? Rain and Blood by Slayer. Ooh. If you can believe that, and it's totally awesome. I don't know these songs. It's a very, it's a very politically charged album, uh, especially with what's going on in the events of this world. I strongly suggest you check it out, and you put it on on your way to work. You'll get there really quick. Yeah, Ice T did collaborate with Slayer on the Judgment Night soundtrack. Yes. So by the very way, he was in he was in Ticker by Albert Pyong. He was also in Max Habit by Albert Pyong. He was in a movie called Warrior, not that Warrior which was directed by Will Harper. I'm trying to figure out what else he was in. He was in a movie called Gangland, where he played a character called Lucifer. He was in a movie called The Wrecking Crew. He was on an episode of Baywatch, tying it all back to the original start of this episode. I believe he did some Broadway with uh, John Melkovich as well. Or I might just be making that up. He was also in the movie... <laughs> you are making up. He was also <laughs> in the... a mo- fantastic non-sequitur there. He was also in another Albert Pune movie called Corrupt with Ice-T and with... Um, it l- LL Cool J maybe no Aww. no 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 but anyways uh, enough Christophe about Christophe Lambert <laughs> no enough about Vincent Kiln let's get back to the film where were All right. we okay so um, so he temporarily rescues the cyborg just long enough for her to reveal that she is a cyborg and kind of uh, provide the exposition for, for the that plot she of the might have the information that can cure humanity. She takes off her wig and we see the back of her head, which is all electronics now. Which I believe is an homage to Robocop. Okay. Sure. Um, and uh, she she's like, why did you save me? And he's like, you reminded me of someone. And uh, she touches his hand, she looks in his eye, and she's like, I can trust you. Um, so she's like, you're going to take me to Atlanta. But that doesn't last long because um, old... Um, friggin' Fender comes along with his gang and they they pretty much put uh, Van Damme in the dust pretty easily. I mean, he doesn't die. They just knock him out and uh, they take this her. This is one of those movies where punches don't cause concussions. They just cause you to go to sleep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so they, they take the cyborg and that's that and then Van Damme wakes up and he's like, well, I guess I'll just mosey along then. Let's keep on singing my slinging song. By the way, he is a slinger, which uh, is a reference to Gunslinger, which comes from actually the 1920s, uh, not the Wild West. Those characters that were known as, that we think of as gunslingers were actually known as uh, shootists or shotists. Yes, as Scott uh, explains, there are two factions in this uh, this uh, hellscape world that we live in. It's uh, the the pirates and the slingers. Do you, do you care to elaborate on that, Scott? There's not much to elaborate on. It's kind of just the plot to to engage us in this gigantic chase movie. But but then there's also the regular people in between that aren't slingers nor yeah, pirates, which we meet yeah. pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Van Dam, JCVD, whatever you want to call him. Uh, what's his name in this? You said it was a guitar name Gibson. it's gibson, gibson. rickenbacker <laughs> <laughs> which, is a, gibby. which is a con uh, which is a uh, uh conjunction between 
the Gibson guitar brand and the Rickenbacker guitar brand. But if I can interject, does anyone ever remember him being referred to as Gibson at all in this no, movie? No, she was calling him Gibbs. She called him Gibbs? Yeah. Okay, I don't even hear that. All I heard was Jean-Claude. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard too. With a, with a French accent. I am Jean-Claude Van Damme, the muscles from Gatineau. I love how you're both like doing like uh, doing like a Jacques Renault. Uh. <laughs> I totally don't know what you're talking about, Philip. So, uh, so he goes to I guess some sort of uh, village within. I think we figured it out that they're uh, outside, just outside they're of just New York. A, yeah, but we see the sign for Hoboken, which instantly means like, hey, they're just outside of NYC. Like a, a, de- a it deteriorated just, sign it, for Hoboken. It literally could have been just like a someone's backyard in Maine. Because uh, this film follows the Italian post-apocalyptic, like the late Italian post-apocalyptic films, where it's just like a bunch of people walking through the woods while wearing rags, and it's like, oh, it's the apocalypse. What's over there? New York. Okay, let's not go there. Let's go to a lower-budgeted uh, area and location, aka Hot Atlanta. Yes, they're going to Atlanta, where the tax credits are, <laughs> <laughs> and the CDC apparently. Um, so he goes to sort of, I guess, a, a village or something, and a girl tries to kill him, and but he's able to get the drop on her, and he knocks her out. He throws something at her. Graham thought he, yeah. she was dead. I thought, it's like, oh, he killed an innocent woman. Oh, no. But he I mean, doesn't. No. And then she decides to follow him on his journey because, hey, man, lives matter. Well, he, like, he stays with her. He makes sure that she's alive, and even though like she's holding a knife, she's ready to stab him. Which he's he's like too too veteran for like he's like come on I know I, your I, foolish I, knives do not fool me girl I, can, I see your knife underneath your blanket I see your knife and I raise you a machete <laughs> I don't know where I'm going anymore um so she just kind of follows him and he just keep keeps walking and she's like you know it's not illegal to walk this road and he's like fine it's a free and, road for everyone and then they just kind of link up and just kind of travel together um. They encounter some bad guys in an abandoned building, which Van Damme disposes of, and then they encounter the other bad guys, the pirates, in another abandoned building, which Van Damme has a bit more of a trouble getting hold past. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're jumping ahead here. They, it's not exactly what happens. What happens is that she convinces him to come with her. She doesn't. He doesn't want her to travel. She's going to slow him up. So they hit the beach, takes off all her clothes. That's right. They swim until dawn. And then dusk, she throws some dusk, so, uh, dusk. dusk. Yeah, yeah, excuse me, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> swim until dusk. So at least a good three hours nude. Then at the campfire, she all but throws herself at him. But Van Dam, being the man he is, he covers her up and he maintains eye contact throughout the entire time. He does it, not. His his eyes do not drop below twelve o'clock on a clock. Now let me ask you, Graham. How does that sound when he covers her up? What does he say? I don't know. <laughs> you, you look cold. I don't, I don't remember what he says either. It is kind of a funny scene. What does scene. he say, Scott? They, they get... Do you know in the line? No, I just want to hear that French accent oh. again. <laughs> you should wear this. It's cold outside. <laughs> don't show your boobies to me. I will not look at them. My eyes only go to the sky, <laughs> never to the ground. It is kind of a funny scene. Like, it's it's daylight, and they get yeah, to the because, beach, because and she's like, I'm going to take off all my clothes, and I'm going to run to the ocean. Well, it's, it's like, I, I did and say, then, I like, don't think... And then, like, smash cut to, it's dusk, they're around the fireplace, and he's, like, just it, coming in from the ocean and wearing his... And she tries to, like, seduce him, and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm in this for the... For the love of the craft, not the, not the <laughs> yeah, women. And this, and this comes within, from what I recall, 10 minutes of having a flashback scene of him uh, getting a ball back for a young boy. So we, we're 
establish that Van Damme's pretty cool guy, pretty nice guy. I return the balls to the kids, and I shoot the bad guys in the face. And he covers the woman. He covers the and woman. And covers the women. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Meanwhile, we do get a little, uh, we get a little view, a little glimpse of the pirate ship where yes. they are all smilingly uh, sharpening yes, their knives. Yes, it's sharpening their knife hour. Favorite thing to do. We drink and we pillage and we do what we please. We get all that we want for free. We'll kick your ass and rape your lass. Somalian pirates, we. So with a yo ho ho. Yo ho ho. And with a yee hee hee. Yee hee hee. We take to the African Sea. We'll brave the squalls and bust your balls. Somalian pirates, we. Somalian pirates, we. We left our homes and we left our mothers to go on a pillaging spree. We'll cut off your ears and break your toes and make you drink our pee. And if you sail into our waters, you best hear this decree. We'll take your boat, set your ass afloat. Somalian pirate, we. Nice, with the yo ho ho. Yo ho ho. And a tricky laddie do. Tricky laddie do. We'll shoot you in the face with glee. Okay, okay, let's stop there for a minute. Remember on trick a lottie do? That's a lottie do. Okay, really need you guys to enunciate the lottie. So let's go from uh, bar 14. We'll pick up after the quarter rest. Ike? Somalian pirates, we. Better. With the yo ho ho. Yo ho ho. And a tricky lottie do. Tricky lottie do. We'll shoot you in the face with glee. Then we'll cut off your cock and feed it to a crock. Somalian pirates, we. Somalian pirates, we. Uh, but we do get a uh, uh, one of the one of the girls uh, who they have on the ship just bare chested uh, tits. It out. shows the difference between Jean Claude and the They're pirates. They're not covering her up. They have no respect. They have no respect. They do not keep their eyes above the equator. <laughs> but to be fair, they're they're not wearing shirts either. Yeah, it's a yeah. very shirtless kind of post-apocalypse. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of uh, pectorals on display. <laughs> a lot of nipples. Hey, Lil. We get to see a lot of nipples in this film. Yeah. A little nodded. Um, where do we um, go from here? I, I don't even know. Oh, I'm looking this, at my notes oh, and they so, don't make sense. So like Van Damme is described as having a hard ass style by one of the characters. Well let's let's get back to the uh, the second warehouse. Actually oh, not the even second the second warehouse. Let's, let's cut to the sewer in Lily's uh, favorite scene. Yes. And I th- yeah, I think she should tell this one. Well, hold on, hold on, because there's 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 one of the bad guys who uh, we couldn't figure out who he was first. We he described him as uh, looking like D. Snyder mixed with Dolph Lundgren. But then Scott pulled the brilliance of realizing that this actor is none other than the same actor that played <laughs> Brock. In best of the best to the, the Chris Penn killer. He killed Chris Penn, y'all. I'm trying to look up his name. So did uh There's Best of the Best Two does not come up on IMDb. In Reservoir Dogs. Don't Who's- curse! God damn it. Chris Penn was his name. Nice guy Eddie. Nice guy Eddie, but uh who shoots him? Uh Harvey Keitel shoots him, right? Yeah, Mr. White. Yeah, that's right. Anyways, he played Baracus in Best of the Best 2 way, way back in episode I don't know what. It featured Lillian, so it was after episode Five, 10. Oh, 10. Yeah, it would have been after... Yeah, because oh, right. right. That would have been my second episode, right? I think so. Yeah, it was episode 11, because episode 10 was Get Even. Get Even. Get Even. Yeah. Anyways, where were we, Kit? 
So anyways, we so jump we, ahead. We get to the second, yes. uh, the second warehouse. Um, and Which does not go as well. And uh, so Van Damme's all like, um, the girl that's with him. Do we, do we know her character name? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Anyway, um, she's all like, uh, don't don't let the cyborg girl get killed. And he's like, well, that I promise you that won't happen. Just stay where you are, though. Zero bots will live to see another day in my friend. And she, uh, of course, does not stay where she is. She immediately starts, like, wandering around. And she's immediately kidnapped by, uh, by Fender and his gang. And then Van Damme gets her back. Van Damme does get her back, but she's like well, lying. This is also this is also the first instance where we realize that one of Fender's gang might be one of the kids that Van Damme protected in the flashbacks. It what is a I, little girl. We're getting so, so throughout the film. I don't know if we've we explained see, we, this we've yet. We've mentioned a little we've bit. We've been getting uh, flashbacks of uh, the last um, charges that uh, maybe not the last ones, but uh, when when Van Damme had longer hair and the ponytail and shit. He basically uh, agreed to take these this he, fa- he small family this to family, a and then safe he kind house. of fell in love with the family. And yeah, became and a he kind of figure. became a father figure, and like he gave the little girl his necklace. He slept with the mother. Yeah, what did they call what he was again? A slinger. A slinger. slinger right, yeah. Right, right. Uh, he gave the little girl the necklace, he brought them to a house, and he's like, here you will be safe. And they were not safe. What accent was that? I was, I'm still going for your... Here you will be safe, my lass. Your, you, that, that's like a weird Scottish accent. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, even dude. know what you're doing. My Ed, lassie. Heading that out. Here you will be safe, my lassie. We're one step away from Warwick Davis here. <laughs> it was just St. Patrick's Day. But anyways... Um, so hold on a minute. What do you, let me get your thoughts on the villains here. I mean, these villains are yeah, they're kind of cardboard cucky cuckoo. But I was at the same say, time, they are, they are a generic gang of villains. They are, but I feel like they're more than that because they have this really ominous menace to them. I mean, like, that whole flashback sequence is absolutely brutal. Even now, they, watching they do it, appear, they appear silently yeah. and they out of nowhere almost. I mean, it's a movie contrivance where it's like all these guys in chain mail that would have been rattling for like a mile away suddenly show up at this house. And how how good is it that they have this super sexual scene and then all of a sudden cut away, they're sleeping bodies and these guys are just like Sharpening peering, knives. peering through the windowsill. Leering, really. even. Leering, yeah. But yeah, that's in the flashback. So they're leering at Van Damme and the woman who's Post- the mother. Post-coitus. Postcoitus of the woman uh, who is the mother of the children that he is protecting, and then they wrap the boy, the mother, Van Dam, in barbed wire and let the little girl hold on to the barbed wire to try and keep them up. It slips through her hands, it cuts her hands. It's a very gruesome scene. They died. Yeah. This is a scene that 11-year-old Scotty felt <laughs> quite. <laughs> it was very traumatic, in all honesty. I mean, that's one scene that stuck with me. It's it's crazy that he would even think that up. That's that's pretty brutal. It kind of reminded me of the scene in... Um, uh, remember that movie with Sharon Stone and Leonardo DiCaprio and Gene Hackman, the Western... What was it called? The Quick and the Dead. Quick and the Dead, where it flashes back to Sharon Stone's character as a young girl, and her father is being hung by a rope and she has to shoot him she gets like a chance to shoot him free but she doesn't make it and I don't remember if she ends up shooting him by accident or if she just isn't able to free him anyway I, I don't know that scene came to mind when that girl is trying to hold the rope I don't think she does I don't think she shoots him I think I don't think that I just think she doesn't she hit the doesn't rope make it yeah she doesn't make it and he dies it's a yeah. brilliant device, though, because it adds a lot of layers to characters, especially if you're not going to have the uh, 
if you're not going to have the dialogue and you're not going to have the scenes that that give them that depth because otherwise like 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 we said these are just run of the mill villains but it it adds something to me and it makes them very uh terrifying in it Actually, it reminded me, I don't know if I'm misremembering, but a bit of the villains from, like, uh, Bronx 1999. You mean 1990, the Bronx Warriors? Okay, that's what I was looking for, yeah. Which villains, though? Because there were the... The the villains were more the rich, wealthy elites, like Doug okay, Ford. Okay, well, just some of the characters from that movie, I guess. Just You mean the random gangs of people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very much like an Italian post-apocalyptic film, like I was mentioning earlier. By the way, I just want to point out to the people in this house, not our listeners, but I have a great French 1990. That's actually a 1990 The Bronx Warriors poster from France called Les Guerriers du Bronx. Yeah, it's gotten to the stage where Graham has actually started hanging pictures up in the abandoned video store. Um, I like all, a little artwork where I sleep. We're all worried about him. Anyway. Thanks, Kit. <laughs> oh, I thought that was already up there. No, I think Graham put that up. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. What's next, Kit? Uh, well, we're getting... Uh, so we, we get to that scene, and um, uh, Van Damme, I guess, after he, he fights a few guys, and then he kind of... Does a little Tarzan down a metal pole uh, where he like she swings on a metal pole yep. that breaks um, right into the center of the action, and then uh, uh, old uh, uh, discount Mario Van Peebles comes out. You um, neglected to mention his uh, switchblade boot. He has hey, a yeah. switchblade boot. Knife in his boot. So uh, while he's kind of crouched down uh, and things are looking pretty dire, and uh, all the other the other fellers get off lunch. Uh, all the other bad guys get off lunch and actually approach from behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, Van Dam throws his switchblade uh, knife at uh, at Fender's head and escapes. And in the chaos, he's able to grab the um, the girl that he was looking after, the the woman he was looking after. Yep. Who he then brings into the sewer, which is where brings we get the great the sewer, chase and between we Baracus. The, the great scene, which I think Lillian is going to describe here because it's pretty epic. Go for it, Lil. Um... Well, yeah, they go into the sewer. He's carrying the girl he's protecting and has an inkling towards. And they get deeper into the sewer. They're running along. There's a lot of like, where do I go? Looking left, looking right. Thankfully, the bad guys are all running in slow motion. Yeah, they're running through the water and and clearly they're being chased. All of a sudden, well, it gets really... Well, he, he puts the girl down. He puts her down. Yeah, he puts her down uh, because, you know, he's this whole time she's been in his way. <laughs> Excuse me, Head, you're missing the, when they go in... Because they go into the sewer before they go into the water. Running through the water. They're running through the water underground, right? Is that what you're referring to or running uh, through the water above ground? No, in the sewer. Okay, okay. I was wrong. Sorry. <laughs> he puts her down and kind of slithers away really quietly. It's raining. Right? No. Are that, they? No, did they get out of the sewer at this point? They're still in the sewer. Still in the sewer. So they go through the sewer, and at a certain point, Van Dam lays down the girl, and then he's like, "Oh, I gotta take care of this somehow." And luckily, the sewer's walls narrow at a very specific point, which are just perfect enough for Van Dam to perform his and trademark Brock split. And slowly creeps up, never once looking right. up. He looks left. He looks up, and Graham. Van Dam is there. Doing, doing his the splits. splits. Yeah. It's probably the most epic splits that we've ever seen Van Damme do in a movie. There's like lightning, like there's thunder and lightning, you know, like it's super epic. Mm-hmm. It was splits from the hand of God himself or herself. 
Yeah, it's a nice uh, wide shot and then a uh, nice uh, zoom in right immediately after. He's, he's holding a knife. Um, Barack, Baracus or D. Snyder looks up. Let's just up. call him Baracus. Let's just call him Baracus. I don't care. He, he looks up at the last moment and he's like, ah, because he knows he's defeated at this point. And by the way, it tends to be the like trademark like cry of the of It's the, the battle pirates. cry of Van Damme. No, of the pirates. That so, so, was kind of a Kermit thing. Van Damme, Van Damme is more like, Ugh. And the pirates are more like, ah! I swear to them, oh, I swear to them, read the screenplay, like all the lines are just like, I, I think I think we can get these lines down in th- 23 days. <laughs> oh God! So so anyway, Baracus gets it, um, and then I guess they get through the sewers. There's a few more um, kind of like hand to hand combats with uh, some of the other guys who are wearing like umpire uniforms and, and BMX biker gear. Wait, but after that split scene. Like that super epic split scene. It is epic. Um, if you've seen the commercial where he know, does the splits between yeah. the two uh, the two trucks, the two trucks, it's the same thing except he's in the sewers. Yeah. Um, right after that scene, uh, you see him and the chick he's protecting, and she's all awake. She's all good. She's all fine, and they're about to climb the ladder to get out of the sewer. And we're like, how the, how the hell is he gonna do that after doing the splits? He's good. He's done training for this. Oh yeah, like apparently in the post-apocalypse, there's a really, really good Pilates program. Oh yeah, everybody's pretty buff and cut. I there's, know. There's no overweight. It's people. all CrossFit. Although that makes sense. I think uh, you would get to like a kind of a, a Darwinian well, like. Well, no, uh, because if you have zero body fat, you're not gonna live that long without your constant intake of protein and carbs. Oh, I suppose that's true. Yeah. But you also wouldn't see any overweight people. They wouldn't be sure you would ambling around they would, they would one, thin. one thing interesting about this film when when you was reading some things about it is that they refer to these pirates as cannibalistic although that's what? never really yeah yeah but that's maybe never, that's in the x-rated cut that we didn't see but by, by it, the way we should point out that be, yeah. that when cyborg was first submitted to the mpa did, did receive an x for violence however and there were certain scenes in this film where we we're like oh they cut away just before the really gruesome part and we realized it must have been to secure an r rating and to keep it away from the dreaded x rating we we kept on waiting for the um scene that Graham had mentioned where a guy loses his eye accidentally because Van Damme gets a little too excited. Yeah, Pekernicki was his name. Didn't get, didn't get to see it. No. Thankfully, and I don't think they would have put it in and be like, oh my god, come see this movie, a guy totally loses his eye. It's like they didn't ever advertise the crows, hey, come see Brandon Lee get shot, you know. I just took it down quite a bit. Yeah, like, like the cuts are so rapid, like like when Baracus gets killed, like you don't see Baracus get killed, or like it might have also been to do with the fact that they were just like flying by the seat of their pants and just oh, shooting totally. they could. Or like at the beginning of the movie, like when like the throats held like the jury curled dude's throat, like I'm assuming it's a pretty you'd think it would be a pretty brutal throat slashing, but you don't see anything. So not a drop. One of the interesting things though too though is that they allowed Van Damme to edit this for two months. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember that. He went back and re edited it himself. Right, so That's interesting. Yeah, I, apparently they allowed him to do that on Bloodsport. He's done that on some other movies. It's shockingly enough, the John Woo Hard Target, which I, I thought was really and, and then wild. actually that that movie doing Hard Target drove John Woo to go back to Hong Kong for a few years before trying it again because he was so he was so just like distraught at how Chow Yun Fat would never Chow Yun Fat would never try that. I think John Woo was raising his doves. Uh. <laughs> I heard him and yeah. Van Damme actually swapped faces, but <laughs> that's just a rumor. <laughs> oh, shit. So I just have a little note here about uh, what actually was cut to earn in our rating rather than the X. Um, 
So in the film, the opening throat slit was cut. A good deal of blood in the village massacre was cut, which I compared to Cannibal Holocaust. Um, also in the first warehouse fight, Jean-Claude Van Damme is fist fighting one guy, and then suddenly he's not fighting anyone anymore. Um, so I think the guy who was fighting vanishes, I guess the death scene was likely cut to, uh, because of, of its brutality. For Probably some the eye loss, actually. Yeah, that could have been a two. Yeah. Yeah. So then we are going through the running through more water outside across the, I oh, guess. Oh, and then they fight in the marsh. The, but the thing is they fight in the marsh there's, in the water when there's dry land like two feet beside them. And then Graham threw in his spectacular Jean-Claude Van Damme impression here to be like, eh, there's some la- dry land if we just move to the left a little. I love how, how my Jean-Claude Van Damme becomes your weird impersonation of that. It was, I'm doing an impersonation only, of your if impersonation. If we only walk two feet to the left, we'd be on totally dry land. <laughs> um, which leads us to the Passion of the Cloud. Passion of the Claude. Jean-Claude. Well, we JC. also missed, like, because there, there are two simultaneous fights happening in... Two different marshes, two oh, feet away yeah, from each other. Oh yeah, because his female compatriot also fights as well. Fights, uh, fights one of the women who was like part of the hedge. Pearl, yeah. So let me ask you guys then. Uh, outside Pearl. of the, the the script, let's take a look at the the fight scenes for a moment. What do you guys think of the fight sequences, the choreography going on with these? I'm actually gonna say they, they were fine. Yeah, they, I'm actually say they were not amongst Van Damme's best, to be honest. Oh, okay. So you thought they were below average. That they were low average. I think for a film of its kind, they were above average, but I think for a, a Van Damme film, they were below average. Mm, he does get the... He, get, he gets a couple flying spin kicks, which are good, but other than that, like, there was no fight sequences that made me both like, oh, this is a fight scene you want to go back and revisit, like with Bloodsport or, um, or Time Cop or... Um, Hard Target, or uh, what's another good Van Damme the movie? The quintessential Van Damme movie, in my or opinion, is Lionheart. Yes, Lionheart, or The Quest, mm. or my personal favorite, No Retreat, No Surrender. That's just me giving myself a cue to play the No Retreat, No Surrender theme song. But hold on, the fight scenes were pretty cool, though, in terms of the backgrounds. I can't ever recall a fight in a marsh. Yeah, and that's it's, pretty it's the first of the marsh fights, for sure. The first and the last of the marsh yeah. fights? Yeah, marsh fighter. <laughs> That, I'm pretty sure that was the title of this movie in, in like, China or something. Marsh Fighter starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, well, it really showed off their strength, right? Like, running so... Sprinting through water that's, like, up to your shins. Absolutely. And a marsh would slow you down, for sure. Oh, yeah, you'd be gradually sinking into it the whole time. Every oh. time you threw a spin kick, your other leg would be slinking It would take a lot of effort to throw that kick, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so, um... So then we witness the passion of the Claude as Jean-Claude Van Damme gets crucified on a on a ship that has run aground in a desert area. So I'm how guessing? shocking is that sequence to newbies here who've shocking. never seen this? I mean, you're not expecting to see Van Damme crucified, are you on a ship? No. Lil, what's your opinion on Van Damme being crucified? I don't know. I And I'm also I used to action movies where like the protagonist is almost invincible. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, I remember watching it for the first time and being like, oh my god, they crucified Van Damme. And it's, like, this is the second time I've seen this movie. 
but it's definitely something you don't expect in a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. Like, this is not happening in Sudden Death no, or and, Legionnaire. And, or, and, and, um, not only, and not only that, too, they, they have a really good point you, you just made uh, where, the, where he actually catches up to the cyborg who he's supposed to be saving and the mm-hmm. whole point of this movie, he finally catches up with her. He has a chance to go with her and the cyborg says, I don't want to go with you. You're too weak. Uh, you're going to get us all killed. You don't see that normally in a, in a Jean-Claude Van Damme film or any kind of action film of the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, and that's what makes this an Albert Pune film and not just another Van Damme film because Albert Pune just puned the hell out of this. Do you think that 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 is the cause of, of Van Damme's dislike for the film over others because he's not as heroic, he doesn't appear yeah. as strong? Yeah, because, because in this movie he's much more of a anti-hero. He's almost... I don't want to compare this film he's to Blade a, Runner, he's, he's but a, he's a reluctant hero. I wouldn't call I, him an anti-hero. I, I disagree. I think his strength is shown uh, because he continues on in spite of the fact that he's told he's weak and he's powerless towards this thing that he's fighting. Right. I well, think his strength is empathy. He, like, he's, he's your classic reluctant hero. Like he doesn't want to go along with it. He's kind of roped into it, and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to see this through. And sorry, what I was saying was that, like in Jean-Claude Van Damme films, most of the time he is just a a he is a freight train moving forward with no chance of turning back like he is the guy that is going to solve this problem come hell or high water whereas in this film there's a bit more internal struggle there's a bit more he doesn't want to attach himself to anyone again yeah. to experience the pain of the barbed because wire that's the incident. thing he's he's like someone that you know had it went through a really bad breakup like if i let myself be vulnerable again i'm only setting myself up for sure. sadness and hurt and of course, which, Pearl, uh, the, mm-hmm. the the woman, his 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 side sidekick. That's not correct. His but, traveling um, companion. His traveling companion. I think her name is Pearl. Correct. Yeah, it is Pearl. Pearl is a cyborg. Pearl really? is a cyborg. Yeah. I remember at the end they say something like Pearl, blah blah blah. I love how character names aren't really important and to this I film. I remember seeing Pearl in the opening credits. As did I. Uh, oh, is it Nandy? Nandy. Nandy Sim. Is that the character name or the actress? No, I think it's hard to say. They never the really refer name. to anybody by name. Sorry, it's, yeah, it's Nandy Simmons is the is is the is the sidekick. Okay, okay so let's stop and talk about her opinion. performance for a moment and her character. I mean, what what did you guys think? I mean, I felt she was kind of weak and could have been a lot because she she's, she comes off as tough as in the script, but she's not really given an an opportunity to kind of spread her wings. She we say. she was a bit of a plot device, to be honest. Sure. As, as horrible as it is to say, like, she was that. She was the woman that spor- spurs the man to action and then in, in the end dies for it. She sees his heart, too. She, she can see yeah. that he cares. But she does hold her own, which, again, at, does, yeah. at this at this time when movies, these kind of movies are being made, I mean, it's not really a common thing. If I'm, and we should, we should point it. out that at this time, Cynthia Rothrock was, like, ripping it up in Hong Kong, but she couldn't get any work in North America. So, so Scott, mm. if you don't know who Cynthia Rothrock is, she is a... Uh, a martial artist uh, karate champion who actually went to um, Hong Kong as a white woman and became a star over there. Uh-huh. And every time she came back to North America, she was kind of buried. Her most high-profile North American production was a TV reunion movie for the Dukes of Hazard in 1997. 97. Yeah, see, I, I can go back to that time, and I remember that this was not a prominent thing. I mean, that was what kind of what set the Terminator, especially Terminator 2 apart, because Terminator 2 came out, what, yeah. 91? And... Uh, Linda Hamilton was doing stuff that nobody had ever seen. And I remember it really standing out because of 
she mm-hmm. was kind of like the female action star. And then that's when you had Thelma and Louise. That was what early nineties as well too. It was, I think that was ninety with yeah, uh, Ridley 90. Scott. Yeah. And this is this is what 89, 87? eighty nine, eighty seven. I think like it was that. shot in eighty seven and it came out in eighty nine. It was the last theatrical release of sure. Golden Globus. So it wasn't a common thing that you'd see, is what I'm saying. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I agree. Like it, it was in wide released films. You would you rarely saw female protagonists in action films. I mean, you saw it a bit in the exploitation pictures with. Um, uh, with uh, with uh, oh my God, well, I'm blanking on her name, but she was in um, Ho- Unholy Rollers and Gator Bait and okay. uh, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase. Why am I? Come on, guys, we we did a whole episode about her. Seriously? Uh, Come on, Unholy Rollers. Um, the blonde girl, Claudia Jennings. Okay. I'm remembering it. Claudia Jennings. Yeah, she she was an action hero in the 70s. Um, there was also uh, the movie Police Women, which featured a, a female protagonist, uh, Zoe Lund in Ms. 45, which was kind of like the female equivalent of Death Wish uh, back in 1980. Um, but yeah, in wide in wide release mainstream films, you didn't really get that. Um, but that also is again another testament to Albert Pune because he. Like, again, he considered himself to be a rock and roll filmmaker, so he would... He famously wrote a lot of his parts that have gender-neutral names because he didn't want to have anything set in stone uh, before when he went into casting. I, I think Ridley Scott mentioned that this this uh, film, Cyborg, was the inspiration for Thelma and Louise. I believe that's true. Of course, yes. Well, no, if you think about it, too, all jokes aside, though, he even, now now that you mention it, I just thinking about this, he made the the singular character Cyborg as a female. It's not a man as well. That's Yeah, because everyone assumes that the Cyborg is Jean-Claude Van Damme. 100%. But instead, it's actually the female that, well, that the, you know, the... Who's going to save humanity. Yeah. It's a woman. It's not she, Jesus she's a Christ. She's character, it's the, it's the female, it's Mary Magdalene. And then going back to to uh, his uh, the plot device, as as we said earlier on, is that not only does she hold her own, but she actually saves Van Damme if it wasn't for her. Repeatedly, yeah, repeatedly, yeah. Especially once uh, once the crucifixion happens, otherwise he'd be out there stranded in the desert. He'd, oh, he'd still be, be dead. dead. Yeah, he'd still be dead. So, well, come on, he's he's doing his job, remembering hard times and kicking that cross. She does eventually save him though she she helps she the kicks cross the cross down. and breaks the cross down but then he's still tied to it and nailed to it at the end of the day it comes out it comes down to her to like untie him and like yes, rip yes, the nails yes, out yes. of his arms but he is uh with the painful memories he's using the painful memories to kick that cross down and 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 get himself free but so he, her, defeated... he would still be laying there this is true this is true yes 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 it'd be a fruitless kind of uh victory for him because he'd still be stuck we should really do a Cynthia Rothrock movie. I'm just thinking about that right now. But that's that's for a future 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 episode. All right, so let's uh, let's speed up a bit. Um, so so post crucifixion, they make it to Atlanta, and this is where the rain kicks in. The rain starts a fallen. Yeah, and this is where Here Van. Comes the rain. A hard rains are gonna fall. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would blame it on the rain, and, and, and you can see that in his shoulder pads. I want to know. Oh, Millie Vanilli drop right here, I think. That was good. It was something the time, Why right? does it always on. rain on me? It's a little Travis for you guys. Travis, band from England. So uh, the, the remaining part of uh, Fender's gang uh, s- steps it up here, and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, he, uh, who, who's got stigmata now, he's got holes through his wrists. They healed pretty nicely, though, I will yeah. say. They healed pretty quick. By so, the way, wait, wait for, for Kit to channel his inner Herb Welch just smacking Scott in the face with the I, microphone. I, did I just, your nose heals quickly, Scott. I, I did just... <laughs> I just, for our listeners, I just hit Scott in the uh, face with the microphone accidentally. <laughs> He alleges it was accidentally. 
Allegedly, allegedly. So yeah, so Much we. Like so the knife to the eye incident. It's Ooh. very true. It's very true. So there's uh anyway, so fights start happening here aplenty. There are roundhouse kicks while guys are on fire with the wind machine going. Yeah, yeah. Van Damme. Water. Van Damme while fighting in a in a lake. Roundhouse kicks a guy while it's raining into a fiery piece of wood. So then the guy fall like lights on fire and he roundhouse kicks him into a car. At this point, Fender appears, also shirtless, goes Rah! and they have a fight, and it's a fight to the death. But he is aided by the woman that turned out to be the little girl that that uh, Rob. Sorry, yet a third woman coming out. Yes, yeah. So Van Dam is nothing without his women in this picture. So. Um, if why did you just do that, Lil? Come on. <laughs> this version of Graham is brought to you by RoboHop. <laughs> so yeah, so you have a whole bunch of fight yes. scenes near the end. They don't make a whole lot of logistical sense, but you have Van Dam taking on I don't know six, seven, eight members of the gang and individually them all until until the big bad Fender comes and they have their epic uh, final match in the rain. Yes. Van Damme ends up in a car here somehow. Yeah, he gets kicked through the through the windshield into the car and then the... Um, we should also point out that simultaneously this happening, his female companion, um, Nady? Nandy? Yeah, Nady. Nady Simmons gets um, killed by one of his underlings and then simultaneously as well the little girl who was in his surrogate family that he saw slaughtered by Fender and his goons, that then the little girl was brought with Fender to join the pirates, realizes, hey, this is the guy that was nice to me once, and decides to fight against Fender. And She screams and pleads to stop hurting him. By the way, uh, JC, JCVD's acting here is just top notch. Yeah, it's a real roller coaster of emotion. <laughs> I meant that non-sarcastically. However, I feel that no, as... it's it's some Mark Hamill type stuff. Little Mark Hamill, little John DeHart. <laughs> um, I miss John DeHart. We should see what he's up to. Um, so then, basically, between Jean Claude Van Damme and his uh, his surrogate daughter, they managed to defeat Fender. But then they have to fight him again because Fender doesn't die. He comes back up out of the water like, ah! F Fender's fighting style, by the way, is all just like yelling and yeah. brandishing knives. Like, rah! Yeah, and as you guys astutely pointed out, there's no kind of blocks. There's no defense. It's it's really it's early from, like, 90s fight, martial arts like, fighting. It's like, I'll let you punch me in my head until I can punch you in your head, and then we'll be okay. I, th I think it was... Perhaps maybe just in uh, North America, but it was really was uh, a crouching tiger, hidden dragon that actually brought out the idea of blocking. Shots. I think it was Jackie Chan because Jackie Chan. Oh, Jackie his, Chan! His, yeah, his Rumble in the Bronx. Like, yeah, for yeah, even, I would, even I would before say it was Rumble in the Bronx, yeah, even that before Rumble the game, in North sure. America, I forgot about Rumble in the Bronx. But even before in Hong Kong cinema, like Jackie Chan was frequently like grabbing a guy's hand and then being like, "No," and like putting his like. Well, I'll take it a step further because I, I watched tons of action martial arts during these times and. Everything was in slow-mo, like Phil said. Everything, you had these one-shot, slow-mo, no defense. It wasn't until Rumble in the Bronx came out, like Graham said, where the slow-mo stopped. You played it all out. Yeah, in one and, take. And, and Jackie Chan absolutely. was constantly trying to avoid getting hit because he was like, if I get hit, this is going to hurt. Yeah, it was all about the choreography at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. He changed the game single-handedly. And, and that's when it, kind of Van Damme went straight to video. That we are at episode 33 and we have not yet watched the Jackie Chan film. Oh, we do need to do that. You yeah. need to do like Drunken Master or something. It's going to happen. Or it's even like a, one of the police story or something like that. Oh, it's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
Police Story, Police Story 2, Project A, Project A Part 2. Operation Condor. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Nice Guy. Oh, I got Mr. Nice Guy. First Strike. All he, of Jackie Chan's 90s output was pretty solid. Yeah, back when he was in his late 40s. It's amazing, because I remember in, like, 1996 and being like, oh, I need to stop doing this because I'm just too old. And then, like, 98 rolls around, he does a rush hour, and then it's, like, another 10 years of nonstop action. Um, so then we finally have Van Damme roundhouse kick Fender onto a meat hook, and we think he's dead. His female... Well, no, we, we first have him roundhouse... I know, into the knife, and he throws the knife, and then he falls down, but he then falls he falls down, rawr. and then we see we see him laying in the water, rain coming on him, in, in the puddle, and we think, oh, that's it, that's it for Fender. But of course, uh, as Scott said, what's the over-under of, of, of Fender actually getting up and screaming as he does so? I actually forgot that he came back. Like, that's the thing. I legitimately thought that was the end of Fender, and then he came back screaming like, oh, It was a lot more... Well, I love this, too. Lightning. Like, instead of, like, getting the drop on your uh, your enemies by, they think you're dead. Like, let, I've got the drop on them. They won't suspect me. Yeah, he, like, maybe wait a day or two and then, like, really surprise them. Or even just not not yell as you're getting up to attack them. Actually, no, he did come up quietly behind him somehow, I but, remember. But as before he attacks him, he's like, himself, Yeah, now he's up with his trademark yell. Peekaboo. Oh, now that was a common technique in, in horror pictures, specifically slasher, but was it so much in the action movies? I can't recall now. Uh, I don't think there was as much of a like de- bad guy coming back one last time in action films. I think this might have been like the origin of it. I'm trying to think. In, um, in Death Wish 3, once they blew that guy up, he was dead. In Nighthawks, he was dead. Like, I'm top. sure it's been done before, but this yeah. has, it, it, it's not a common thing, I don't think. That's, it was, surprised me. Sorry, but... I'm, I'm just having a thought here. It was... Is it? They always come back. They always came back? Uh, it, it seems to me in my... Of course, I don't know, but I've seen a lot of movies, and that, that trope of the bad guy, you think he's dead, and then he comes back one last time, and then... Yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to go back to 88 or 87, whenever the hell this was. I don't know. Phil, what do you think? Yeah, for sure, because like, this is like right after Die Hard. Like, that's probably like the... Oh, yeah, Die of- Hard had that crazy... Um, had that crazy comeback after the guy was already like long yeah, long he was dead. hung up on the chains and then sure enough he reemerges and then Carl Winslow does his thing sorry Fender was also in Kickboxer 2 <laughs> Fender was also in Dollman and Nemesis where he played Michelle don't remember him in Nemesis yeah I do remember Tom Jane's ass he was in Nemesis you get to see Tom Jane's ass yep. in Nemesis. Scott, you missed out. <laughs> Apparently. I actually saw Nemesis years ago and the sequel, but I, I don't recall either of them. And I think they made it up to, what, Nemesis 4, 5, 6? 4 or 5, something like that. Yeah. I, I I know, I know. Me and Lillian were just talking about how much Nemesis rocks. Just absolutely rocks. It's awesome. Phil and Kit's shaking his head like a moron. Phil is asleep. I did not like Nemesis. Yeah, it was, I, 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 it. It was fun. I can't recall it. I can't really recall it either. It's exactly my point. It was cool. <laughs> it had a good storyline. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Like, it had me at the beginning, right? Didn't We're, I tell you, like, a minute in, I was like, man, this is good. And I think I said that tonight, too. Like, a minute in, I was like, holy shit. Well, we're, we're skipping ahead so to, to final Literally, thought. the voiceover of, of Cyborg, you're like, this is awesome. Yeah. The voiceover is awesome. Like, I liked it already. Like, yeah. 
know. Yeah. Besides, Anyhow, besides. so okay. Fender is finally defeated. Um, He's on a meat hook. He's definitely dead. Uh, the the one girl is dead. Natty or whatever her name is. Natty, Natty. Simmons. Um, but the cyborg is still alive. Pearl. And so we get to... Who could have a cure for humanity? So he get, drops her off at, like, Cyborg headquarters. And then they, like, close the door. I and don't understand this either, because she left Cyborg he- headquarters with the cure. No, no, then, no. She left Cyborg headquarters in New York to go to Atlanta. He but, dropped her where she needed to be. But the same guy who made her into a Cyborg is there waiting for her. I guess that I think makes it was sense. a different guy. Or no, that, it's the same or guy. Or that might have been... Yeah, it's yeah. the same guy. Well, I guess he made her in Atlanta. She went to New York to get the cure and then decided but to But he's return. like, I'm not traveling with you because that's too dangerous. I'm yeah, gonna go seriously, on my I'm a person. You are a Cyborg. <laughs> and that guy in the beginning who was with her, I'm trying to remember... Uh, the Jerry he, Curl. Yeah, he got, he got decapitated. Yeah. Was he? I can't remember. I think if he was, was another slinger. I think he? I think he, he was another. He like, wasn't like protecting her or anything. I he think was that's like, what he was doing. I think he was like a Van Damme. I think type. He, I think he was like a lousy slinger. Like yeah. he was one of those guys that were like, well, I guess if it's we have that they would send him for such a mission. Anyway, it's like when you're going and you want to buy a Macintosh computer, but you wind up buying a Macintosh computer. No such thing. Cutting that out. It's like if you're going. <laughs> it's like if you're going to a mechanic, and the guy like works on bicycles, but you need a guy that works on trucks. Cutting that out. Um, it's like it's like when you go to get your uh, your your pencil holder, and and uh, your mom picks out the Puebli uh, pencil holder, and nobody even nobody likes the Puebli kids. Going with that <laughs> one. We're cutting that one out. <laughs> That one's going in. That one's going in. Oh, man. Or you go to a flea market looking for Vans shoes, but the shoes you find are Van. Airwalk. I remember Airwalk. Shit, they I forgot about that them, brand And they entirely. started making them that looked like Van, like, the, like Converse, and they were terrible. Anyways, guys, so it's that time where we discuss our final thoughts on this film. Scott, since you are a very extra special guest, well, what did are we you? did we get to the, the final shot? Just yeah. the Van Damme leaving with the... Yeah, yeah and then the... Door closes. Door and closes, it. and it was a very cool door. I think we all agreed. It came down from the top. It fo- unfolded three times. It was totally impractical, but yeah, it exists. <laughs> that was Kit's highlight of the movie. So, Scott, as our very extra special guest, what is your final thoughts on Jean-Claude Van Damme, directed by Albert Pune in Cyborg? How many, t- how many times have you seen this, Scott? Uh, 25, 30, maybe. How many times in your adult life have you seen it? Twice. 17, 18. <laughs> oh, snap. Okay. No, I haven't seen it in a long time. All jokes aside, uh, it still stands up. I, I, I don't know. There's something about this film because there's not a look. There's it's it's there's not a whole lot of meat to the script. But I think some of the things that we we pointed out and isolated here. I mean. Van Damme's muted performance, if you could call it. <laughs> muted is a very charitable term. I would say mumbling performance. performance. No, let's be honest. The it's it's the uh, it's the set design. It's the vibe of the movie. The tone. That good old Masters of the Universe Part Two design. Yeah. yeah, it's really menacing. I really like a lot of the shots. I I dig a lot of the scenery. I dig the marsh. I dig the fighting in the abandoned buildings with spray paint. I like a lot of the camera angles, and and it's got a kind of a kinetic feel 
Um, and it's really like it's just unexpected and dark and it stands out from the rest of his films most of his movies are tournament style he's got to fight a whole bunch of different people that master in different types of fights oh you mean Van Damme sorry I was th- I thought you were talking about Albert Pune I'm like tournament style okay Albert Pune no Albert Pune I've only seen four of his films I saw two of the Nemesis and I yeah. saw Arcade which <laughs> you, I don't know about that one well that's a straight to video full moon joint affair ooh he did a full moon production yeah it's pretty Good wild Charles Band it's a a bunch of kids that go and play this uh, this uh, video game that takes them into virtual reality. It's when virtual reality was getting all hot in the mid nineties. Back in the nineties, this like that Edward Furlong movie. Remember that? No, that game, that movie's awesome. But that, it's, <laughs> okay. it's it's, it's the same dead. kind of yeah, brain scan. It's the same kind of brain vibe. Scan. You're playing a video game where you become the video game and you gotta live. So uh, that the, that's the only thing I've seen from his stuff. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, this still stands up. It's the print that we saw looked awesome. It was crisp as all hell. And um, yeah, I mean, if you if you're into Van Damme, you're into the the late '80s, early '90s stuff, you should definitely check out Cyborg. Uh, doesn't hold a hand uh, candle to Terminator, but it's it's pretty pretty damn cool. Oh yeah. So Kit, what are your final thoughts on Cyborg? Well, to be honest with you, I kind of like this film. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to lie. It was it was it was brisk. Um so it didn't overstay its welcome. 82 minutes flat. Um it was just I mean, you're not expecting much from the film. I I liked it in contrast to Nemesis is what I'm thinking of because I didn't really like Nemesis much at all because Nemesis is just constant people shooting guns at each other and it's just stupid. Uh, you mean great? It's just like, oh, we got a thousand bullets and we're going to fire at each other and none of the bullets are going to hit each other because it's that kind of movie. What? And it was just, he went into like a bomb shelter thing. That's was how he survived all that fire. Overload that of nonsense gunfire. It was just like this fetishistic, weird fucking um, gun battle kind of movie uh, with, with bare minimum of plot. Now, Cyborg doesn't have much plot either. But at least it has like hand-to-hand combat and roundhouse kicks and uh, the splits. The most epic of splits ever performed. And that's what <laughs> set ever. it apart for me. Uh, technically, Nemesis did have plot, but it was very Lots nonsensical. Of good <laughs> Anyways, uh, I'm just going to interrupt quickly because I just came across this random piece of trivia that's really good before we get to Phil's final thoughts. In Albert Pune's director's cut, the film's ending is actually extended. When Gibson and Haley, that's the little girl that grew up into that woman that was in Fender's gang, return Pearl to her scientist colleague, or college, as this terrible, um, what? I was just saying, like, Fender's gang would be a good name for a band. They return um, Pearl to her scientist colleague. It cuts to a caption nine months later. And an electrical storm is seen, is seen, and a sphere flashes, and an unknown naked woman, a cyborg, appears and ends with the caption, Next, Cyborg Nemesis, The Dark Rift. It sounds a whole lot like the Terminator. <laughs> wait, wait for this next piece of wait for this next piece of trivia. The scene which rips off the Terminator nineteen eighty four was written and filmed to set the stage for a planned sequel entitled Cyborg Nemesis. Nice. Uh, this film was also included on film critic Roger Ebert's most hated list. So, but what does he know, anyways? What did he dislike about the movie? Yeah, did, can we pull up the? Um, yeah, let's check it out. We got to see this. Okay, Phil. While I'm doing that, what are your final thoughts on Cyborg? I also enjoyed it. Uh, I surprisingly enjoyed it. Uh, what? You don't like anything? <laughs> I know. Were you awake during this movie? <laughs> I was totally awake. I was wide awake. 
yeah, it was brisk. It was fun. I they could have invested a f- like they could have put like maybe like five more minutes in the world building, but uh, sure. you know what? Uh, there we weird. go. Yeah, Lillian, what are your final thoughts on Cyborg? I agree. Um, could have been a teensy bit tighter, right? Uh, but other than that, no, like a little bit more. Um, you guys are saying that the plot was kind of, yeah, could have been a little bit more. Like you say, the girl wasn't really up to snuff and like you would normally see, like really like tough and like ready to go. Like she was kind of um, more, I don't want to say natural, but it was all kind of um, like. You had to. She had to. Well, she had to fight. She on, had like, to attack to survive. Right. The movie relied a lot on tropes and stuff and and yeah. archetypes and which is fine, I think, for the movie. I think it worked. Yeah. Anyway, it was uh, it was good. It was brisk and yeah. You guys pretty much, pretty much. Uh, what What was your favorite scene, Lillian? The splits. The splits, of course. <sighs> so I've dug mm-hmm. up uh, Roger Ebert's review of Cyborg. Okay, go for it. Um. He, 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 uh... One star, by the way, from April 7th, 1989. Yeah, he basically says it's a cross between Escape from New York with the Road Warrior, but cheats on the budget. Uh, he makes a lot of bad comments about the thin script and the, uh, the cheap-looking sets, but the gist of it is this. Movies like this work... pretty good to me. Yeah, I thought so. Mm -hmm. Movies like this work if they're able to maintain a high level of energy and invention as the Mad Max movies do. They do not work when they lower their guard and let us see the reality, which is that several strangely garbed actors feel vaguely <laughs> embarrassed while wearing bizarre costumes and reciting unspeakable lines. He might have a point there. I don't well, know. One thing that's, well, Ebert's not wrong. One thing that's important is that the villain has to be like, you have to kind of be under the villain's belt too. Like when he's there, you have to hear him, right? And every Ooh, time yeah. the villain here is on screen you're just like holy shit right so it's good <laughs> this is pretty funny he opens his review with i am not sure i remember the opening lines of cyborg exactly but i le- believe they were after the plague things got r- really bad <laughs> yep good old roger he probably wasn't even awake throughout most of that movie <laughs> yeah we um, have to disagree with that so guys what else can i say about cyborg Nothing really. I enjoyed it. Was it my favorite Jean Claude Van Damme film? No. Was it my favorite Albert Pune film? No. Was it my favorite film starring that guy, Brackus? No. <laughs> it was a solid kickoff to our Albert Pune series, which will be continued next week with his high school thriller, Dangerously Close. Starring Tom Matthews. From Return of the Living Dead and Friday the 13th, Part 6. Tom Matthews, he plays Tommy Jarvis. Yes. Oh. And also featuring, I think, Dean Stockwell is his name? Oh, He's the guy nice. from Christine, the, the, the jock? No, Dean Stockwell is the other guy. Sorry, it's another Stockwell. I'm John so- Stockwell? I think it's John Stockwell. Let me look it up. Sorry, guys. I normally know his name. Uh, I am two RoboHops deep, <laughs> which is... Um, and a bit of wine as well, some wine. Yes, it's John Stockwell who starred in My Science Project and Christine. And uh, now it looks a little rough. Um, Hard living. Swiping backwards. Um, 
Sorry, that's on Wikipedia, not on some dating app. Um, but yeah, so next week we're going to be watching. <laughs> next week we're going to be watching Dangerously Close, starring John Stockwell and Tom Matthews, and it's directed and written by Albert Pune. So with that being said, guys, I've been Phil. I have been Kit. I've been Scott. And I've been Lil. <laughs> and I have been Graham. Thank you for listening to Death by Video. Please be sure to rewind. We will see you next time. Follow us on Twitter at Death by Video Pod. We love you. Follow us on Facebook at Death by Video Podcast. Follow us on SoundCloud at Death by Video Podcast. Follow us on Instagram as De- on Death by Video. Sorry, Instagram as Death by Video Podcast. And follow us on iTunes at Death by Video. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you very much. Good night and good luck. Bye. I love this podcast.